We are in Ruth, chapter 2, at Ruth 2, verse 19. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So back in, in chapter 1, the last verse in chapter 1 says that um, they had returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So now it's the end of the barley harvest, and then the wheat harvest starts, and now the end of the wheat harvest. So it's three or four months later. So for three or four months now, she has been gleaning in the fields of Boaz. And remember, there was this chance, chance, this chance opportunity in in the beginning of chapter 2 that she should end up in the field of Boaz. And we looked at how God causes people to fall into certain situations. And then when Naomi heard that Boaz had blessed her, and he knew that she must have had special favor, Naomi knew that Ruth must have found special favor, because she said to her, may he, in verse 20, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And so, And up in verse 19, may he who took notice of you be blessed. So even before, in verse 19, before she knew it was Boaz, she said, for you to have gleaned this much, 30 pounds or like 22 liters of this this grain, you had to have been shown favor by whosoever field you were in. And then when she says that the man's name was Boaz, then Naomi starts to realize the hand of God in all of this. That the hand of God was there. She says, this man is one of our closest relatives. So remember, this man is able to be a redeemer of property. And we're going to see in chapter 3 that Naomi is going to have to sell the property that belonged to her husband because of of, of, uh, uh, needing money. But somebody could redeem the property. And Boaz was the man that could redeem it. Boaz was not required to marry Ruth because Boaz was not a brother-in-law of Ruth. So in Deuteronomy 25, it talks about marriage and how it's up to a brother-in-law. However, in Leviticus 25, it talks about the redemption of a land could be another family member. And that's what Boaz was there for. But in in an extension, Boaz could, if he should desire, marry Ruth. It was not obliged that he marry her under under Levitical law, but it seemed to be their practice in this day. And so, what's interesting here is, 
In verse 21, Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maid so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean. So she again reiterates what Boaz had said to her, Don't go to another field. He said, You just stay in this field. He meant protection for her. And she perceived that as a blessing. And then her mother-in-law says to her, the man is right, don't go out into other fields. Because in other fields, uh, uh, if you go out into other fields, others may fall upon you in another field. In other words, you might be taken advantage of, you might be raped, you might be abused in another field. It is better if you stay with him and with his mates. You know, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at the ad- advice that we get from others and, and And this really was just driven home even just last week. After last week's teaching, we were sitting in the home and and this young man came up to me and he said, and he started to describe a story. He started to tell a story and he was not part of this story. He was describing a story about a young man. And I soon perceived that that young man was himself. But anyway, he said, what would you say about a young man who his parents keep telling him to do certain things. And I said, why don't you tell me more about this young man? And, and uh, he said, well, he's probably around 20, and um, his parents are always telling him not to go out with certain friends and not to go around. I said, well, well tell me more about this young man. Does the young man live at home? He says, yes. I said, oh, so he lives at home. Is he somehow financially dependent in some ways upon his parents? They said, Partially. I said, well, as a parent, let me tell you what would concern me about my 20-year-old just going out every evening, driving around with certain people. Is that I know what happens in cars when people just go out every night driving around and just to have a good time. Yes, the 20-year-old is approaching that point of real independence, but let me tell you from the parent's perspective. I know that if my child is going out every night with certain individuals who do not really love Jesus and they're just driving around in cars, they're going to end up in some sort of trouble. Somebody's going to get a DUI. Somebody's going to be carrying illicit drugs. And everyone there in the car then is going to get in big trouble. And the other thing is, if they're going out every night driving around in cars, they're not just driving around, they're stopping certain places. And let me tell you what happens in the back seat of cars when you have young men and young women night after night in the back seat of cars. Somebody ends up sleeping with somebody else. This happens all the time. And this is what parents want to protect. And the reason they want to protect is that if somebody gets a DUI, that will forever be on their record. So that any time they go for a job, they have to write, oh, by the way, because one of the questions is, do you, do you have a, 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 a record against you? And you have to write, yes, DUI. And it's very difficult to explain that away on a job application. So all you can do is write DUI in the year you got it. And if somebody happened to have some drugs in their pocket in the car, everybody gets in trouble. That may be on your record. It makes it much harder to get a job. So let me give you the other side of it, too. What happens is, If there is a young man 
who has slept with 12 different women going through high school and college, it's much harder for him to be pleased with his wife because very often when he's with his wife then a few years later, as he's with his wife in the act of, 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 of sex in their bed, he is thinking about many of these past relationships because I know that's the way men are. And it's very hard for a young man that slept now with a dozen other women to be satisfied now with one woman. This is why parents have this concern. Because things happen to young men who are in these sort of situations. This is exactly what we see here. Boaz said to Ruth, don't go into another field. You just stay right here and I'll take care of you. And then Naomi underscores that. She says, yes, stay in this man's field. Because if you're out going from field to field gleaning, somebody's going to take advantage of you. And there's a level of protection in this godly man's field. Because we had seen how Boaz would come and he would greet his workers in the name of the Lord. That set some tenor, that set some precedence in his fields of the way people were. And it was a good field to be in. And the scriptures tell us in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so, in this verse, it really begins to... to, to Say it just like it is in 1533. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33 If you hang out with the wrong people, it's going to mess you up. This is what concerns parents. And that's why I would, ha- I would be concerned if my 20-year-old child were doing that sort of thing. And he said, you know, I, I had never seen it from this perspective. And then he started to reveal that that young man was himself. And was like, oh, I never would have guessed. And and so he began to see from the perspective, because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Why? Because he's ridden in those cars and he's gone to certain places and certain things happen. And so you see Ruth's response is, okay, I will listen. I will do this. And she was greatly blessed. God surrounds us with counselors. He surrounds us with blessings. He surrounds us with protection. He puts a hedge of protection around us, but He doesn't force it on us. God allows us to choose evil rather than forcing us to do what is good. God allows us to do this. But He surrounds us with counselors. And this is why... Who we are with makes a huge difference. It really does. Now, there are times to be with people that you're sharing. But when we're with unbelievers, the idea is that I am there ultimately to to be sharing with you. But if the other way is going, is they're sharing more with us and drawing us more into their ways, that's where we really have to be careful. You know, when I was in college, I... I got saved early on in college, and there was a good friend of mine, probably my best friend, and he was, he was an unbeliever. And he, 
you know, he had a typically unruly college life. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't on drugs, but he was, was on everything else. Drank a lot and partied a lot. And I had moved into a discipleship house with a bunch of other Christian guys. And he called me one night, and it was during the summer. He said, I'm driving from Buffalo, is where he lived, to New York City, passing through Syracuse, which is where I was, living in this discipleship house that summer. He said, I'll stop and I'll pick you up and I'll take you with me to so-and-so's house in New York City. And he was a good friend of mine, and I, it was just tearing me up. I said, no, no, Gordon, I can't do it. He says, no, I'm coming, and I'm going to come and get you. And so he set out on the road, and I just started praying. I said, Lord, this is a good friend of mine, but I don't want to go. I mean, I, my life is different now. Lord, help me. Protect me. And I'm not saying God is going to do this every time, but this is what God did for me in this stage of my Christian life. So the guy was supposed to pick me up at a certain hour, and he didn't show up, and then the next hour he didn't show up, the next hour he didn't show up, and then they get a phone call. So he can't call me right away. There were no cell phones back then. He had to wait until he could get to a, a, a public phone booth. Apparently, a deer had run right in front of his car and totaled his car, and he never made it to Syracuse. He wasn't getting to New York City, and I was free. I felt so good that his car was just total. It drove, it drove the radiator right into the fan and just chopped the thing up. And, and to me, that was the greatest sacrifice of an animal ever. <laughs> but God protected me. God does this. This woman knew that it was good to have obeyed Naomi, and she stayed with him, and she was protected. God means much for us in counsel. You know, there's this guy, there's this guy, uh, uh, Rehoboam, in, in, in Second Chronicles. So if you turn over a few books, you'll see First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then if you go over after Kings comes Chronicles, go to Chronicles chapter two, and in Chronicles chapter two, it outlines the life of, of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the grandson of David. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. So you had, you had King Saul was the first king, and then you had the line of David start. So you had David, Solomon, Rehoboam. So Rehoboam was a young man when he took the throne, as was David, as was, as was um, Solomon. And in verse 10, in, in chapter 10, Second Chronicles chapter 10, Verse 1, it says, Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. So Solomon had died. Rehoboam's going to be king now. And it says, uh, um, then, it, then it says uh, in verse 2, When Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So they sent and summoned him. And when Jeroboam and all Israel came, they spoke to Jeroboam, saying, your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us and we will serve you. And he said to them, return to me again in three days. So the people departed. So what happened here is Jeroboam is a young man, just becomes king. Solomon was an absolute taskmaster. And we have this image that Solomon was a nice wise man. He was an absolute taskmaster. He lived in a... In a, in a very high society sort of way, exacted heavy taxes upon the people, but because of his wisdom, he had a firm hand of control. And so now this young man comes in, and the people said, lighten the load on us, lighten the taxes, and we'll serve you. 
And so Rehoboam wisely says, give me three days to decide what I need to do. So during that three days, look what happens. In verse 6, Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? They spoke to him, saying, If you will be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. Isn't that interesting? He says, If you're kind to these people and you speak good words to them, they'll be your servants forever. What wisdom? These people had sat under the wisdom of Solomon all these years. This gives us an indication of how we're to act when we're bosses. That if, if we encourage our, our people who work with us, speak good words to them, they'll serve us. They'll do a lot for us. Verse 8, But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and he consulted with the young men who, grew, who he grew up with and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? The young men with, who, grew up, who he grew up with spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So, that was the advice of his beer-drinking buddies. Just be harder on them. Really scare them. And he came and he took his buddies' advice and the kingdom split under him. Under Rehoboam, there was an immediate split of the kingdom where all of Israel went in one direction and all he had was Judea. Just the, the, just the one tribe of Judea there and, and just that, that section around Jerusalem and a little part of Benjamin he actually had, which was right there around Jerusalem. And he had to flee for his life. And so you can see that God has surrounded us with terrific counsel. And he doesn't mean to box us in. Like this wasn't to put a restriction upon Ruth to say, we don't want you to enjoy your life. But it was to say, there is shelter, there is protection here in this body in which Boaz has. Among his workers, among his maids, there is protection. There is like protection in the body of Christ. There really is protection in the body of Christ. And when we learn to make the body of Christ our family, there is tremendous protection there. Okay, let's go on to... to uh, chapter, chapter 3. So this is Ruth, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, and, whose maids, and with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall take notice of the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, All that you say I will do. So Naomi, the mother-in-law, first says, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security 
for you. Look at Naomi's purpose here. So Naomi is a widow. Naomi has no more children. Naomi could expect Boaz to marry her. And in fact, Boaz may well have been her age. Naomi's age, not Ruth's age. Ruth was much younger because we know that, that Boaz refers to Ruth only as, as daughter. My daughter, he, he, he referred to her. But Naomi says, I want your security. So here is this woman, Ruth, looking out for her mother-in-law's security. And here is the mother-in-law now looking out for Ruth's security. She says, I seek security. I seek protection for you. This is what I have for you. This is what I'm seeking. Some sort of protection. Some sort of rest for you. And this, this idea of security also speaks of the word of rest. There is, can be a security and a rest in marriage. There really can. And the unfortunate thing is that so many marriages are like hell for people and not a place of security and rest. And God's intent is that it is a place of security and rest. I love it when my wife is home with me. I hate to be away from her. I hate the house when she's not there. I love to have her there. For me, there is that sense of rest when my wife is there. I know everything's going to be alright. If Shireen is here, everything's going to be alright. People could walk in and, and they're going to get more than a bowl of cereal. They're going to be okay. If Shireen is there, everything is alright. And this is the sense. She says, I want you to have the security. She says, Boaz is one of our kinsmen, meaning one of our near relatives. He needs to redeem this land so that it doesn't leave the family because I can't afford to pay for this. But also, he is in a place where he could marry you. If he marries you, then a child could be raised up. And it's interesting that in her doing this, she is putting her, aside her own marriage for her daughter-in-law, saying, I'd rather you get married. Her daughter-in-law put aside her life for her mother-in-law, saying, I'm going to leave my father and my mother, my land and my gods, and follow your God and take care of you, go to your land. She looked out for her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law is now looking out for her and her welfare. And then she explains to her what she ought to do. One of the things she says to her is, go and he's going to be threshing. So, so the, the harvest is over and now the threshing time begins, which was a time of real celebration and excitement. And remember, in this portion of the book of Judges, it probably happened during the time of, uh, of Gideon. They had had no harvest for, many, for, for, for long periods of time because, be, because the, the enemies would come and, and take it. And then Gideon defeated the enemies and now they're having their harvest. So it was a big time of celebration. <clears throat> but look what she says to her. She says, wash yourself therefore and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes. I have seen my wife give counsel to young women in our own kitchen. And, and, and so there, there, was, there was this occasion, and this was, this was several years ago, that these two young ladies who were precious young ladies who were part of the Bible study just happened and it looked like they just kind of rolled out of bed that morning and tied their hair back and came to church. And Shireen got them in the kitchen and said, you don't want to do this. What you want to do is you want to get your hair looking really nice when you go out on Sunday. You want to put 
some, you want to wash your face really well and put on some cream and put on some lotion and look really good and put on some nice clothes when you come to church. Put on and do this. And those young girls could have said, who are you? Who are you to say this to me? But they valued Shireen and she valued them. Because there was a relationship of value, Shireen felt she could speak into these young ladies' lives. They had never been taught, or maybe they had been taught, but they had never heard. And that happens a lot of times. That you don't want to roll out of bed like this. I mean, we all see guys roll out of bed and their hair is like this and they come down. It's still not proper for a guy to do this. But especially for a woman to do this and they come to church and Sunday. And Shireen had this talk with them. Well, I'll tell you, there was a radical change in these two young ladies. They always came nice. Their hair was nicely done. They had makeup on their face. They looked good. And then every time those young ladies have ever come back to our house, now they're long graduated, but they stop back occasionally when they're in Houston. They come in and they look sharp. I mean, they walk in, I look at them, I say, you look like you are a CEO today. I mean, you are really looking good. I mean, they took this lesson of Shireen and they really took hold of it. She meant well for them. And so, you know, women get of a certain age and they, they're, they're interested in marriage, and they ought to be. Make yourself look good. There's nothing wrong with that. There really is nothing wrong. She had to tell her daughter-in-law, go wash yourself. You know, wash yourself. And anoint yourself. Put on, put on some perfume. Put, anoint yourself. And put on your clothes, your best clothes. Stop dressing like that. You know, if you want Boaz to show some real interest here, it means you want to look good. There's nothing wrong with that. And you're becoming of an age, it is good to do this. And I'll tell you, it, it stands out. So, here I am filling out job recommendations for people. One of the things that I think of is I just think of the person in my mind. Okay, I'm filling out this job recommendation. And one of the things that's nice to be able to put down is they are always well-dressed. They're always well-dressed. Whenever I see them, they dress better than their peers. That means something. It means something to people when, when they're considering you for a job. Because that means that you know, you, you take pride in, in, in your appearance and what you're going to look like. You say, well, what am I going? Where am I going with this? I'm, I'm not going anywhere but the Word of God. Where's the Word of God going with this? Why of all things? I mean, there, there's a certain number of bits of information in this book. And so, this, you know, this book is not infinitely long. So, why would God take important space and put this in there? There must be some importance in this. And he tells her, look good. Young women, you, you're, you're, you know, if you start getting to a point where you're interested in marriage, look good. Make yourself look nice. And young men, you can do the same thing. You go rolling out of bed with your hair going in every direction and smelling like you rolled out of bed. People realize you just rolled out of bed and it's not very attractive. So you can get up and you can take a shower and you can wash up before you come down to the servery to eat. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And especially when you come on Sunday, you don't have to get all, you know, dressed up and everything, but you just want to look clean. And this is what she told her. She says, I want you to wash up here. Look clean. Anyway, 
So it's interesting that, that, that she had brought that up. And then, then she says, Do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. So we know from the later context that, that they weren't getting drunk at this time. They had to work. This was a winnowing time. But, but they, they had to... But, but certainly that was part of it. And I'll give you an example. So Shireen is so wise about this. If, if she has something that she needs to talk with me about, really serious, and I come home from work, she doesn't hit me when I walk in the door and say, Do you know what happened? She will sit me down, she'll feed me a nice dinner, and, and, and uh, then she'll bring me a cup of tea and everything. And as I'm just relaxing, she'll come and she'll sit there and she'll say, you know, something came up today. And, you know, I'm all calm, I'm well fed. My grandmother used to say that, you know, because when we, when we, uh, we'd come in just ravenous, and, and my grandmother sometimes would, would make dinner and she'd say, um, after, after, we ate, she'd say, now your bellies are full and now your talk is big. Because what happens is when men come in, they're just so hungry. You know, they just give me some food. And then things just bounce off. Just, I want some food. And then after they eat, you know, they can relax and then they, you know, they start relaxing and talking. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is what life is about. And, 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 and I don't think that this has changed that much. This is just the way life is. And so she'll feed me this meal. And I'm sitting down, and she'll make me this cup of tea and something, and, 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 uh, and then she'll sit down and she'll just gently begin to tell me. And this is exactly what Naomi is telling Ruth. Just wait till the man is eaten. He's worked all day. He's got a lot going through his mind. Just wait till he's eaten. Wait till he's had his drink, and he's just relaxed. You don't want to come at him right away. This is good wisdom, isn't it? I mean, where else are you going to get this kind of instruction? It's all here. It is really all here. This is just tremendous things to know. And so, knowing what is the time period to talk to a person. What is the best time to talk with them? And this is all she's doing. She's beginning to line this thing up. And so she's got the wisdom of this older woman to know how to deal with it. And I've seen Shireen do it. There was this young man, he was courting this young lady, and so he came to Shireen and says, what should I do? She said, oh, I can help you. What you do is you never go to her home without a gift in your hand. Whenever you go, even if it's a flower, a box of chocolate, you always take a gift. I said, yeah. She says, exactly. That's what you ought to do. And so, I mean, it wasn't long. Within six months, they were engaged. I mean, it just, it just happened. Every time he went, he had a gift in his hand for her. And so Shireen came, became like his counselor in this. He was always calling, what do I do next? What do I do next? And Shireen really knew what to do. I didn't know she knew all of this. I, mean, I must have looked like a real slob that I had dealt with her. But anyway... She had this, this guy had this tremendous counsel, and that woman was done for. There was no way that, they, that he was, she was going to get away from this guy, because he had the inside information on exactly what to do. And so Shireen knew this girl and would talk with her, knew what she liked, and would transfer to this guy. And then, you know, it just before long, they, they, they were engaged, and they'd been married and everything. This is the type of counsel that Ruth was getting. This is a good thing. This is the way the body of Christ works. This is the way relationships work. This is the way mother and daughter work. This is a good thing. And now I see Shireen counseling my own daughter 
on how to deal with her husband and things that should be said. And I see her saying, uh, Ambreen, don't eat yet. Your husband doesn't have his food yet. Now you say, who is he? She is just teaching my daughter how to be a good wife. And you see how in the body of Christ you can learn all of these issues and you can grow into this. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word, the reality of Your Word. Father, thank You that the issues of life, You give counsel and You give wisdom. Father, I pray for these young people that they would always remember that bad company corrupts good morals. Father, that You would keep them in the center of Your will. Father, I pray for these young women that You'd cause them to walk godly before You and that the grace of God would be upon them. Father, I pray for these young men that You would teach them as well to learn to enjoy the body of Christ and learn from the body of Christ. Father, thank You for the treasure of Your Word. Do a work and a change in these young people, I pray. The grace of God be upon them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.